This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Dr. Amy Hogan says, Do not be afraid of your fertility. Is a woman's fertility a gift? When is halting fertility a sin? Well, let's find out. Dr. Amy is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. All right, Dr. Amy Hogan, we know that good things begin with prayer. So would you lead us in a prayer for this next segment? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Dear God, we come to you and we ask for your blessings. We know that where two or more are gathered in your name, that you are there with them. So we humbly beg for your presence uh, here and everywhere that people are listening, dear God, that you would show us your heart, your mercy, for without your mercy we have nothing. So dear God, share with us your Holy Spirit. Let your Holy Spirit move in our hearts today so that we may further do your will and further glorify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Beautiful. Thank you. All right. So by way of introduction, Dr. Amy Hogan, MD and uh, certified fertility care medical consultant. She's a family physician with extra training in fertility care and NAPRA technology. And we're grateful that she's here. She is the main physician and owner of the One Body Clinic in Salina. She's married to Dan and they have five beautiful living children. And we are so grateful that you are here to talk with us today about this, this beautiful subject, Be Not Afraid of Your Fertility. Thank you for being here today. Yes, ma'am. And uh, definitely fertility and hormones are some of my favorite topics, so you may have a hard time shutting me up. Ah, that's okay. <laughs> I, I'm pretty good at interrupting. The topic is be not afraid of your fertility. So, um, you know, where where should we start? Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what the Bible tells us about fertility? Absolutely. There's a lot of amazing things in the Bible that are about fertility and about the love of husband and wife. And in fact, If you are familiar with Genesis, you know that there's a man and a wife that begin the whole process of the Bible with Adam and Eve, and God tells them, the first thing he tells them, some people um, don't know that the first, like, mission that God gave in the Bible in Genesis was go forth and multiply, increase and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And so that's a beautiful phrase in and of itself. Uh, But interestingly, that is the first thing that we audibly hear God say in Genesis chapter 1 to the man. And that is, you know, has quotation marks around it. And the earth isn't full yet, even though there's a lot of places that have very high population and population density. I know that in Kansas, we have lots and lots of space left to fill. So God is asking us to take care of that. And also, you know, he says he gives us charge over the fishes of the sea and the birds of the air and and all the living creatures. So he tells us to take care of these things for his greater glory. Another uh, favorite topic of mine, or another Bible passage of mine that's a a huge favorite is Psalm 139. And it talks about how amazing God made us in secret in our mother's womb. Mm -hmm. So if you ever wonder how special you are, uh, for sure visit Psalm 139 and just take some time to meditate 
on how amazing God made you. Yeah. Um, another another of the uh, Old Testament verses that I love is in Second Kings uh, chapter four. There's a prophet that visits a couple, and he keeps coming back because they have amazing hospitality. And so he comes, he comes through the area, talks to them, and then he realizes that they're not able to have a child. So one of the special gifts he asks God for them is to bless them with fertility. And in fact, the next year she did, she was going to bear a son. Awesome. Uh, and then finally, some of the things uh, that, that, that are really in the long history of the faith and the, the, the early fathers was, Abraham and Sarah. So the story of the two of them, elderly, you know, advanced in age, but yet he had faith because God told him that he'd be the father of many nations. And and things went on and on and on and on. And finally, it's almost like it's hard to believe that they could actually conceive at all at their old age. And as we know how the story goes, they did. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the whole line of the Jewish tradition that was then handed down to us in the Christian tradition. So what does the Catholic Church teach us about fertility? Well, of course, the Catholic Church matches completely what the Bible says, which is fertility is an amazing gift. And so, you know, interestingly, in the Old Testament, if you were infertile, it was considered almost a curse, you know, more socially than theologically. But certainly, it is a, a supreme blessing and a gift. And so when people uh, go to get married, there's actually three key questions that are asked of them right in their marriage, the time when the priest is is talking to them. It's called the consent of the marriage. And it says, number one, have you come here freely without reservation to give yourself to each other in marriage? And then secondly, will you honor each other as man and wife for the rest of your lives? And then number three is, will you accept children lovingly from God and bring them up according to the law of Christ in his church. And so all of those have to be answered yes, yes, and yes, or it's not a valid marriage. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So what's tricky about that is if a couple is coming to the marriage and they're not interested in children, and even if they are uh, contracepting at that time, then it actually could make their marriage invalid. Mm -hmm. It sounds sort of strict and harsh, but that's the truth because they wouldn't be consenting to that third phrase there, that third proposition. Mm -hmm. So the church definitely wants more humans in the world for Christ and his church. I mean, that's, (laughs) we want to spread the good news. And one of the best ways to encourage the spreading of Christianity is to raise Christian children or Catholic Christian children, if you will. And I think when people are more open to life, they're more, more giving to their church. They're more uh, generous in all ways. So we see that generosity leads to generosity, and it is part of our Christian tradition is to be open to what God is calling us to and and realizing that this world is not the only world we live in. Uh, I love it when people um, talk about, like, if you want to change the world forever, have a child. That will change eternity because a soul is eternity. When we cooperate with God in creation of new life, We are actually, that is one time where we actually get to co-create with God Almighty. And we can't even imagine how amazing and profound that is. We cannot even understand that soul is now eternal. So we'll not be just here on earth, but forever and ever and ever. Awesome. What is the typical natural fertility rate? 
Yeah, that's a great question. If a woman has no barriers to fertility and never tries to avoid, the natural fertility rate is actually around seven children. So again, some may have more, some may have less. Uh, but if uh, if a woman and a couple are open from the time they're married to the time they're infertile naturally by menopause, then the, the natural fertility rate is around seven children per woman. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Seven gifts, right? Right, right. Isn't that great? And it's ironic that, you know, like you said, seven gifts of the Spirit. There's a lot of sevens in the Bible, too. Perfect and beautiful number. And fun to meditate on sometimes if if you'd like a good meditation, meditating on God's numbers that He puts into things. Yeah. So, so what's the current, that's the typical natural fertility rate without any barriers, seven children. So what is the current U.S. fertility rate? Yes, it's very startling that the U.S. fertility rate, because of the fact that we now have a lot of women who are definitely not interested in children or they're definitely trying to avoid children, it's currently down to 1.78 births per woman. So uh, quite a bit lower than that seven, obviously. And um, in the world, it's even lower. Uh, so not surprisingly, um, the, the, the world, especially Europe, went before the U.S. in promoting contraception and, you know, had developed other uh, means of abortion also before the U.S. got hold of them. And so the Netherlands, you know, a very, let's say, modern country, 1.57 children hmm. per woman. Germany and Russia, 1.5 children per woman. And then Italy, all the low, almost one of the lowest. You think, oh, they're right around the Vatican. That, that should be a good place to have children. Not at all. Italy is 1.3 children per woman and Ukraine, 1.23. So just amazingly low numbers. And, um, you know, they're not replacing their populations. What we, what we know from that is a lot of the social programs that they're running in their governments Unfortunately, they're, they're begging women in some countries to have children because they're not going to have enough population growth to sustain the social programs. Told people they can't have children or they would be fined mm-hmm. or now reversing and saying, we'll pay you if you have children because there's not the, mm-hmm. the replacement uh, going on that you're talking about. So Right, um, right. I think you're probably referring to the, the China one-child policy. And, and yes, I don't even have accurate numbers on China. Yeah. Uh, because they don't always release accurate numbers on their fertility rates. But, you know, they're now promoting the two-child policy, which, people say, oh, that's better. Well, it's still going to, unfortunately, encourage abortion and contraception and other ways to limit child spacing because, you know, they've, they've two children obviously is not the natural fertility rate either. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's still going to be people doing lots of coercive things to, to stop the population growth in China, even with the two-child policy. Uh, but yes, uh, where you have governments that are socially indoctrinating people to stop childbearing, you know that there is evil going on. Talking about what the church teaches, you know, they, they are telling us to use something called natural family planning. But, you know, the, the argument is that, you know, it doesn't work or, or you know, and, and, you know, we can look at the statistics of people who have, na- who have used natural family planning and they do have more children. So share with us a little bit about how natural family planning works and why it is that, that some of these families do end up with, with more children. Is it because it doesn't work or is there something else to it? 
Right. I think that when you investigate your own body's natural ways of working, that it makes you very much in awe of the body. And it's it's just an, because God stamped his very being in our own bodies, then it does make you aware of what God has given you. And I do think that people who use natural family planning become more open to children, especially as they mature. And then also, as you know, God has a way to work in your life. He may actually surprise you, and you might think, well, that wasn't my doing, and you're right. Sometimes God has a plan that is not our own. And so being open to life and not doing anything like sterilization or avoiding contraceptives, that God can actually work in your life. And and whether it's a surprise or a special blessing, it is His will and that you remain open to that even as you mature in your marriage and in your faith. And certainly God is maturing us uh, each and every pregnancy (laughs) that he wants to uh, change us and mold us and move us. And and absolutely a new life has an amazing way of doing that. Uh, But I think that the couples are, are more generous to life. They're more generous to fertility. And because they're looking at their body in a way that is in God's eyes, an amazing gift, that they would be open to more children. Um, if there are serious reasons for avoiding pregnancy, like sicknesses, like you know severe finance troubles, uh, or the state in life, like maybe someone is in um, an advanced degree program, and, and there, there, you know, there are certainly reasons to avoid a pregnancy, the couple can choose to abstain during the fertile times, and that's certainly still church allowed and church bona fide. Um, you know, but it wouldn't be a good thing for that to be the constant status of the couple. Like if they're thinking, gosh, we're never going to have children, so we're going to avoid always. Unfortunately, that too could put them in a state of sin because it would be like using natural contraception. It sounds kind of weird, but, you know, the God actually wants us to discern month by month, is it possible? Could we be open? Could there be another child that we could add to our lives and to our love? Uh, the love of the family and the gift of the child being one of the greatest gifts of the marriage. So definitely something that people do is is discern a little bit differently when they're naturally fertile and allowing their natural fertile cycles to come and to go at God's grace and God's timing. If a person does want to avoid pregnancy, the modern methods of natural family planning can be 97 to 98% effective at avoiding pregnancy, and that's as effective as most hormonal methods. And Mother Teresa, God bless her, and may she pray for us this day and this hour, uh, that in India she was with she and some of her nuns that were doing healthcare work and helping the poor. They had taught some of the women who in in destitute situations how to monitor their fertility. These uneducated women in the study that was done in India had a virtual zero pregnancy rate, which means that it is can be very effective at avoiding, especially if times are difficult. You know, thinking about that, we also want to think about fruitfulness. How would we approach God, you know, in His glory, in His majesty, okay, looking for a way to serve the church? We hope to be fruitful. <laughs> we hope that God will give us an abundance then sometimes we have to ask, are we being stingy with God, not giving to Him as we ought to do? So looking for the service and the help that we can be to the human family, not just to even our personal family. Yeah. 
You know, and, and, you know, I have eight children, and, and I am so grateful for each and every one of them. And I get to talk to a lot of, of people. And throughout my years of, of talking to moms and, and talking about fertility and, you know, seeing the shocked faces when I say I have eight children, I have never, ever had a single mom tell me that they regretted having children. I've only had them tell me that they regretted not having more. Mm-hmm. Um, right, especially as we mature, you know, I'm yeah. now turning turning the quarter of the late forties, and it's like, yeah. oh, things are changing, and uh, it won't be like it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, things are always going to change on us year by year, yes. and you know, you can't go backwards. You'll never get the time back that you that you spent. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there are a whole lot of ways to avoid pregnancy. There's, you know multiple, multiple options for, for artificial contraception methods. Can you share with us a little bit about maybe the possible harm that comes to women because of this and uh, the possibility of uh, abortion, that, that birth control can also be an abortifacient. So can you share with us a little bit about that? Sure can. The first thing I'm going to do, though, I had somebody stop by today at my office and remind me that we also have a societal problem on our hand that contraception and abortion have have helped lead to. Mm. So unfortunately, contraceptives have led to a decreased value for women and sexuality. Mm. People treat it much differently than they did 100 years ago. Um, it used to be that most people would wait till they're married to have sex you know, better or for worse, because they knew that certainly a baby could come out of it. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely those who did not abstain or did not um, were not chased, but it had been less rampant. There was less of it, less of a concern of it, because people were more respectful of God, of sexuality, and the fertility. So something that's happened that all of us could probably agree with is that from the last 60 years when contraceptive became readily available, that we have more women with dependent children. And not that that's evil, but the fact is we have less people getting married, we have more sex outside of marriage, and we have more women and children in poverty. And a lot of that can be simply stemming back from the fact that contraceptives led to a lesser view, or what I should say is a cheaper view of sexuality in general, treating it as a pastime versus something very sacred. So here we go. That's just one downfall that it could cause to women and children is that many more of them will be in poverty because the man in their lives was not willing to take care of them. How sad. So we wonder why we need all these social programs. And part of it is, again, a degradation of the view of the goodness and the holiness, the sacredness of sexuality. But in a general bodily sense, when a woman is taking uh, birth control, hormonal contraceptives, that could be the pill, the patch, the shot, multiple other hormonal contraceptives, there's lots and lots of side effects. And bear in mind that we only give these contraceptives to women who are in their 20s and 30s. So these harms have come to women who are younger, not just 40s, 50s, and 60s. There are things like a blood clot, a heart attack a stroke, bleeding difficulties. In other words, not that they took care of the period, but that it made the bleeding of the vagina worse. 
for they could have nausea, vomiting, breast pain, depression. That's a huge one. Interesting little article came out about two or three years ago that showed that women on contraceptive pills were more than twice as likely to take antidepressants. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Weight gain and depression. So just what a woman wants, something that would make her have more propensity to depression, weight gain, and so on. Yeah. So that's <laughs> that's just to name a few. The package insert, if you go to a pharmacy and ask for the pill package, and can I have just any old pill package, you know, uh, Sprintec, there's an old one, orthotricycline, all these different ones. Can I just have one of those pill package inserts? You read about it, uh, maybe 24 to 40 more different um, side effects, risks. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yeah. So um, what changed my life forever and what also could not just harm women, but a baby, boy or girl, that could be in the womb of the woman is how the pill works. So the pill and other hormonal contraceptives, which changed my life forever. Speaking of the pill package inserts, when I was a young aspiring uh, student trying to become a doctor, I worked for a doctor in Manhattan, Kansas, where I was going to college. And one day I decided to go through, one of my friends had challenged me and said, you know how the contraceptive pill works. And I'm like, well, yeah, duh, they stop ovulation, right? That's what I had been led to believe as a uh, co-ed college student. So he said, no, there's other ways that it works. You should go look into that. So I had to prove him wrong that I was right and he was wrong because he told me that the pill could cause abortions. I'm like, no, yeah. You're sure, surely that isn't so. Yeah. Why would so many women take them then? So I went to the little drug closet where the, all the contraceptive pills were kept. I pulled the pill package insert for so the little white paper that's all folded up in the back of the package. And I folded it out and made it big and wide on my desk that night. And I read through how the companies say that the pill works. And they said it may stop ovulation, but it may not. That's what they call breakthrough ovulation. Mm -hmm. And so you could certainly still become pregnant. Mm -hmm. Another thing is that it changes the cervical fluid or the cervical mucus so that it makes that, that more like tar instead of water. So it's more difficult for the sperm to swim. But finally, in the light, in the dim light of my desk in that evening, I read that the pill could, quote, stop nitidation of a fertilized ovum. And that's fancy doctor speak for you could stop a teeny tiny baby from implanting in the lining of the uterus or the womb. And so in that sentence is contained what the drug company admitted is that you could actually abort a baby and not know anything. We need to take a break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more from Dr. Amy Hogan. Do not be afraid of your fertility. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. Do not be afraid of your fertility. With Dr. Amy Hogan. Kelly Roper conducts the interview. We are talking with Dr. Amy Hogan, talking about be not afraid of your fertility. And uh, we've been talking about contraceptions and the harm that they 
cause to women as well as you know to the unborn baby once contraception occurs the baby's not able to implant and grow and instead um, can you know it doesn't always happen but it it can happen where the the some of the contraceptives can become an abortifacient Um, doctor anything that you would like to add to that yeah, I think the final thing, and maybe people won't like me very well by, for talking a little bit more sinisterly, but the other thing that it can harm a woman in the fact is is her, her immortal soul. Mm. You know, we don't talk about sin very much, but it certainly needs to be addressed because I want to get to heaven, and I want everyone to get to heaven. We started a novena uh, about, I guess it was two days ago, for the... Um, we have the Immaculate Conception coming up. So my little son, who's seven, I asked the kids, what do you guys want to pray for with our novena? What petitions do you want to pray for? And it was so sweet. He said, I want to pray for everyone to go to heaven. <laughs> like, ah. And I, I said, I, unfortunately, I corrected him. I said, well, not everybody will go to heaven, though. And, and I shouldn't have said that. A day later, I had some remorse. And I said, honey, let's go ahead and put that on our list of petitions because we definitely have the hope that everyone will go to heaven. But if we are ignoring God's laws, especially if we propose to be a Catholic, but yet we are not listening to our Bible or to our church that says that fertility is an awesome gift, we really have to take this to the confessional. We really have to think about it because, unfortunately, things like, you know, things since Vatican II have been a bit downplayed, I'm afraid, Mm. but words that have been taken out of some of the missiles and some of the liturgy even are things like, God's wrath, or our unworthiness, our error, our sins, our burdens to our consciences, God's majesty, and obedience to His commandments. I was even reading when I was preparing for this talk, I was looking for the vows for the wedding, and it was interesting because one of the websites was like, do we have to put the word obedience in our wedding vows? And I was like, do you have to? I mean, (laughs) you want to. You want to be obedient to God's ways and then even to your husband when the time is is proper in the fact that the husband is called to be the head of the household. So obedience kind of gets under our skin a little bit, but it's so beautiful in the way of obedience to God's commands. We want to be obedient to His commands, that we are, you know, looking to Him with humility with eternity in mind, with heaven in mind. We need His grace. Yes. <laughs> so, so stopping the fertility, you know, for just social or frivolous reasons, my young couples, my young families, my young women, that is unfortunately risking mortal sin. And if, you know, if, if nobody's telling you that, I'm very sorry. I know that it hasn't always been talked to from the, the pulpit. It hasn't been something that's been well-stressed in either catechisms or even in marriage preps at some time. But we really have to think about how do we treat our fertility with God's design in mind. Yeah. So we want that for you because it's beautiful. We want not because we're trying to tell you what to do. It's because God's laws know what's best for our health of heart, soul, mind, and body. People wonder, like, when we when we fall into sin, unfortunately, it's because it's convenient, or it's something acceptable to us, or it makes our life easier, or we think it helps us. You know, there's so many things that we think help us, but unfortunately, if we're listening straight to God's ways, then unfortunately, we sometimes have to beg, we have to humbly go back and say, oh, I didn't do it right that time. Yeah. I need to change my ways for next time. Yeah. And that's all it is, is 
we really are each struggling on our own journey. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, contraceptive has been made almost to be a convenience factor, just like, you know, sliced bread or our computer or our car. Like, we, we want to use it because it gives us something that's easy. It gives us something that is uh, helps things be under control. You know, a lot of times, you know, the word birth control, you know, is an apt word, is that we want to control our own destiny. We want to control how the body works. But unfortunately, that's not how God designed it. And um, we just have to pray for his grace. You know, I'm not perfect. What I'd say that I struggle with the most or have struggled with the most is that, again, we tend to want to take the reins of our own life. We tend to want to say, this is my way. This is how I like things to be. But as I learn and grow and um, start to look at, you know, that, that it's not about me. <laughs> it's not about how I perceive it ought to be, but it's how and the Lord and His grace and His mercy are leading me to be. And and certainly I don't have all the answers and I'm not perfect. And I've had to go to confession because of not being fully pro-life, yeah. not always seeing life as the greater goal or the greater good, or, or that I would, you know, think, gosh, that's not a great time in I've had a couple of couples in my practice that they humble me because they're coming to me for fertility care when they're on their fifth or sixth child. And I think, wow, you want, you want more, you know, but isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. They want more, (laughs) you know? Uh, So I have to check myself at the door. It's not about me to decide for them. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of doctors even, so maybe priests haven't necessarily talked all the time about contraceptives and abortions. And, you know, I encourage if there's any priests out there listening, please talk about it. You know, people don't know the truth just because they're quote-unquote Catholics. They may not have the full understanding yet to be mature Catholics in their understanding of it. So we all need a little bit of pep talk from time to time. Uh, But also the doctors, unfortunately, the doctors will be like, so what's your next birth control plan? And, you know, right after delivery, or are you planning a tubal ligation right at the time of a C-section? Yeah. You know, so people are really being onslaughted with this is how you do things. Yeah. So a lot of times it's not always their fault that they fall into contraception. It's just what's done in the world. So what do you do to help couples to achieve pregnancy for those that are struggling? Right. It is a big struggle. And you're right. We're seeing more and more people. I think possibly because people are tending to wait a little longer in life and, you know, they get through college or they have an advanced degree and they keep on studying and then, oh, well, that's time for children now or, or they get married later. So, you know, a lot of times we get women who are already 30s or even early 40s and, and are looking for help because their body either isn't working properly or, you know, they're not achieving the goals that they want to get to. So what we do first is we begin cycle charting. We love to know what the body's doing, so you get to understand it better by getting uh, charting going. And what that means is monitoring the fertility and the fertility signs. And if you'd like to be part of that, you can go to the diocese website. And even on the front page of the diocese website, they have a click box for natural family planning. And there you can find a practitioner. We have Creighton model in our diocese the most because about three, wait, four bishops ago, that Bishop Fitzsimmons actually had decided that they, he wanted a really good medical model to be supported in our diocese, and he chose to send his practitioners to Omaha so they could learn the Creighton model of fertility care. 
is a beautiful medical model. It's also good for just general family planning, uh, but it gives you lots and lots of good information that then gives me lots and lots of good information. So before I even have women and couples come into the clinic, I like to see about six to eight weeks of cycle charting, and that gives me a direction to go for their fertility workup. So it begins to tell us what are their needs, what are their problems, even as they walk in the door. So we already have a leg up by seeing their cycle chart. It's so important. Um, Also, we do usually a semen analysis. We look at is there any other complications to the couple's fertility uh, by being part of the men's fertility. And interestingly, we now have a new way to do this by doing it at home test, which makes it much more comfortable for the couple and even keeps it in line with the Catholic teaching. But the details of that we go over with the couple later. So it's a, it's a product called Fellow, if anyone's interested, F-E-L-L-O-W, to look them up. A shout-out to them for finding a way to help couples to do their semen analysis right in the home. Awesome. Nice. Um, finally, yeah, what we do is we, we then look at the chart and determine are there specialized lab tests that need to be done. And we have quite a slew of those lab tests. But one of the things that we do that most OBGYNs do not do is to test the estradiol and progesterone in series after an ovulation has occurred. So the cycle chart helps us to see, A, is the couple ovulating at all? And B, if they are, is it looking healthy? And C, to time those lab tests so that we can determine what is happening in the preparatory phase right before implantation and carrying that baby. So it helps us to get things just right, replace it in sync with the cycle so that the couple is ready to conceive And interestingly, that is as important as a lot of times I have couples who call me, and and it's certainly fine, they call me when they're already pregnant and say, oh gosh, I think we need progesterone in pregnancy, which is sometimes true. Progestation hormone, progesterone, is often needed in pregnancy, and it's even more important to have it perfected before the pregnancy occurs if, if need be. So lots of amazing things, but those are, in a nutshell, some of the things we get started with um, helping couples to, to seek achieving pregnancies, right? It's very emotional. It's hard on the couple. It's hard on the woman. It's, yeah. it's hard on everybody when things aren't working as they ought to. Yeah. And that is our goal with NAPRO. We call it NAPRO technology, but it stands for natural procreative technology, is to help things go well so that the goals can be achieved. And I think it gives women direction, even if, they, if they're not getting to their goals quickly. Yeah. It at least shows them exactly when they're fertile. You know, the possibilities of how does this work and how does the body work gives them hope. And to be able to see the body begin to work better, again, even if it's just little steps towards the goals where the cycle chart is improved or we now see true signs of ovulation, we now see that the luteal phase is becoming more productive and the the length of it is improving. So these little parameters do go a long way to even just helping her and the couple to become more confident in their direction. Um, last thing, you know, that, that I want to want to talk about is um, just, you know, some of the the wonderful things you're, you're doing great work. I can tell you're just doing amazing work. So um, what is the best part about working with infertile couples? And, and um, you know, I can guess at some of them, but I'm just going to let you spell it out <laughs> for us and for all of our listeners. Well, it's actually seeing everything come full circle. And before I say that, too, is um, I have a lot of young women charting, so I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. But um, one of the most, since I'm getting older, I have some women who, little, even girls, who start charting when they're 14, 15, and now seeing them become wives and mothers, 
they obviously have more respect for their body just because they begin to understand it at a younger age and give it value and credit and credit God with how amazing they are. So, so one of the neat little nuances of becoming older in my practice is seeing younger women who have matured and are now starting their families and seeing how beautiful it plays out and unfolds for them. So praise the Lord for that, that the, just the loving of, of taking care of it, stewarding the body, stewarding God's creation, right? Uh, that we can see how beautiful that becomes when they apply that to their lives. But in the area of infertility, it's seeing those baby pictures. I mean, come on, what's not to love? They'll, you know, a lot of couples will send me baby pictures by email or in the, in the mail, or they'll, you know, send their next Christmas card with the baby and the family circling that baby. The beauty and the love that is radiated from those pictures and those families is blissful. It's humbling. It's awesome. It, it, it makes it all worthwhile. You know, the hours and, you know, the time spent and the discussions spent. And, you know, just we, we at the clinic are sometimes as anxious and sometimes uh, nervous and worried about how things will progress. I shouldn't say worried. We know that God has all things in his hands, but we all want the best outcomes for the couples. So we're kind of all in the, involved in it. And just seeing, wow, that baby is now here. They can hold that baby. It's such an awesome and glorious thing to behold. So I did have one follow-up question that I had written down here. You know, when you were talking about infertility and helping couples to achieve pregnancy, you talked about the cycle charting and the Creighton method. What if a couple were to come to you and they're using um, the symptothermal or something like that? Is there something that, that can be done there, or do they have to learn the Creighton method in order to come to you for help? Any method will do. I've um, also gotten into FemHealth, FemHealth.org. Um, it's not quite as comprehensive as the Creighton model. Symptothermal is actually even more comprehensive. And as long as I can read their chart, if they're doing you know good charting and keeping it um, as neat as as neat as possible, so I can actually read it and interpret it, we certainly can start with any chart. A lot of women, though, they they want the guidance of a teacher. So I think that's why Creighton Model has such great following and, and great follow-up and rapport is you actually get a human person to talk to and to, you know, talk with your chart about. So, yes, you can bring any chart. We, I've seen Billings. I've seen Symptothermal. I've seen Couple to Couple League. I've seen FemHealth, like I said. Uh, so as long as it's an interpretable chart, we can start with it. And then, you know, each couple can decide what's the best for them. I've, I've had people, you know, change from time to time, but... Really, it's about getting the knowledge of what's happening in the month. And if both she and I can interpret it and are both comfortable and confident with it, and any um, method will do. Uh, definitely um, going to Holy Mary and to St. Joseph, because they obviously um, were special parents, if you will, <laughs> in, our, in our spiritual history, that we can certainly ask them for help, whether it be for the grace of managing fertility, um, you know, going through times of abstinence, uh, as we have the Blessed Virgin Mary, right? Always Virgin Mary. Um, and, and then also just strength to do what God wants to do, even in the time of, you know, a pregnancy that may not have been particularly planned. We can always go to um, Mary and Joseph to, to ask them for their help and their guidance in, in that way. So praise the Lord, but let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this time to discuss the goodness of the body and how you created it. We ask that you would help us humbly to have a greater appreciation for all that you have done in our lives 
and how you have all things in your hands. So we come to you and just ask that you would be with us, that you'd guide us, and that we would see the workings of your Holy Spirit in our lives so that we may glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to One Body Stewarding God's Creation. Folks, heaven is unseen. So are these airwaves. However, if you want to support these radio waves and help save souls for heaven, go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate or use the address to send in a check. Thank you in advance. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Whoa.